Good morning, Southwinds. So glad that you're joining us virtually today. I wish that we were meeting on our campus together as we had planned, but as you know, we've postponed our first outdoor service because of the unhealthy air quality from the fires burning all around us. It was so bad, in fact, that when we arrived on our campus today, the smoke was visible inside our auditorium here as we're recording. I know that you're going to continue to pray for the fires to be put out and for everyone to stay safe. Uh, We will keep you informed uh, about our plans as we look towards gathering together for our outdoor service. We're wrapping up our Living on a Prayer series today, and we have been for weeks now working through the Lord's Prayer line by line, this model that Jesus gave us to teach us how to pray. And today's message is called Yours. And it's all about those famous final words of Jesus' prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And to get into this final line, I want us to go back in time, 19 centuries, back to the mid-100s. This is a very difficult time for Christ followers, and many of them must have felt like their world was falling apart. For more than a decade, a mysterious, contagious disease called the Antonin Plague swept across the Roman Empire. Historians estimate that as many as 33% of the population died, which would have been around 70 million people. Riots were breaking out across the empire in protests against the government's policies. And the Romans began to try to deflect blame by persecuting Christians. They blamed Christians for the plague because Christians didn't worship the Roman gods. And in the midst of this, Roman authorities arrested a Christian leader named Polycarp. He was 86 or 87 years old, and he had personally known the apostle John. He lived in present-day Turkey, and he was the last living link to the first generation of Jesus' followers. The Roman proconsul thought that if he could cause Polycarp to deny Christ, it would demoralize Christians and stop the movement. So they brought Polycarp into an arena, an arena of people that were crazed for Polycarp's blood. The proconsul told Polycarp, I will not kill you if you just say away with the atheists. And this was because the Romans looked at Christians as atheists because they didn't worship their Roman gods. Well, Polycarp, waved his hand at the crowd surrounding him, and he said, away with the atheists. This infuriated the proconsul, but he said then that if Polycarp would just take some incense, throw it on an altar, and just say the word Caesar is Lord, his life would be spared. Polycarp famously replied, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? But the proconsul said, I will throw you to the wild beasts if you don't change your mind. And Polycarp just said, call them. The proconsul said, I shall have you consumed with fire unless you change your mind. But Polycarp then said, the fire you threaten burns but an hour and is quenched after a little while. The fire of the coming judgment and everlasting punishment awaits the wicked. So why do you delay? Come and do what you will. And with that, he was burned at the stake. Polycarp was the first post-New Testament era martyr that we know about, and his death galvanized believers. Person after person, old men and young women, even children, all said, we cannot deny 
our king. And in the decades that followed, despite disease, despite famine, despite persecution, without an army, without shedding the blood of their persecutors, Christians became the most influential group in the Roman Empire and they transformed their world. I don't know about you, but I want to know how did they do it? How did they persevere when it looked like everything was against them, when it seemed like their world was coming apart? And honestly, when you look at our lives today, doesn't it sometimes feel sort of like that? I read an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago that was talking about how people across our nation are just worried, worried about the future, worried that the virus will surge again this fall, worried about rising crime, worried about protests, this feeling that no one's really in charge, like what's happening with schools and will my business make it? And then there's politics. I mean, is anyone really looking forward to the next 10 weeks before election day? And we can't trust the media. And so where do we find hope? Well, we find hope in knowing that God has taken Christ followers through every kind of fire, through plagues and pandemics, through political upheaval and social turmoil, even through persecution, and we are still here. We're reminded that we have a Father who loves us and He is a God who is in heaven, a God of holiness and power. He's a God of love who is building His kingdom and we are part of that kingdom. And so if you need hope today, if you need courage today, then you will want to pray this final prayer in the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, before we dive into our study, I I need to acknowledge something up front, something that many of you may be asking right now. These words are not in the text of most modern Bible translations. They're not actually in the oldest Bible manuscripts. Now, they were in the best manuscripts that the old King James translators could get their hands on. But since then, many new discoveries have made it clear that this line was most likely not in the original text. And so you may be asking right now, should we just disregard it? On the other hand, we know that this line was included in this prayer very early in church history. It actually shows up first in a work called the Didache, which is a manual written in the early 100s on how to live the Christian life. It's actually the earliest Christian writing that we have outside the New Testament. And the Didache recommends praying the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And the author writes out the words of the Lord's Prayer. And he ends the Lord's Prayer with these words that we're all familiar with. In other words, this ending has been prayed by Christians for over 1,900 years. And in addition to that, these words are biblical These are words that are taken from biblical words like David's in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 and 11. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom." Now, this kind of prayer really is all throughout the Bible. For example, in Revelation 5, verse 13, the apostle John has a vision of heaven. 
This is what we read. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. It seems that early Christians took these prayers and incorporated them into the Lord's Prayer as we find it in Matthew. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now what I am saying is that this is a very biblical prayer and you can pray these words with confidence just like Christ followers have been doing for 2,000 years. Why are these words so powerful? Why do they matter so much? Why do they give us hope? Well, let's dig in to what they tell us. We'll work through this phrase by phrase. First, for yours is the kingdom. You need to know that this phrase is a radical phrase. And this is the reason actually why they burned Polycarp at the stake. Because to the Romans, this phrase meant insurrection. I want to show you something. This is a picture of a coin of Caesar Augustus, the the Caesar who was on the throne when Jesus was born. And on this coin, he is called Son of God. On other coins, he's called Lord. On other coins, he's called Savior. And see, people living in the Roman Empire back then were told, wherever else you may have come from, whatever else you may believe religiously, you are first and foremost a Roman subject of this emperor, and you must give him your ultimate allegiance. And that's why this phrase is so radical. When I pray, yours is the kingdom, I declare my identity. I am confessing that I get my identity from God's kingdom, not from Caesar. It's kind of like this. State of California has a law and every one of us needs to get a new ID card. Do you know what they call it? Real ID, as in your real identity. Now, the state of California calls that card my real ID, but that's not my real identity. My real ID card gives my identity as a resident of the state of California, but that's not my real ID. My real ID card says that I was born on December 10th in some year back in the last century, but that's not my real ID. My real ID card says that I'm of the family of Nolan, but even that is not my real ID. My real ID is that I'm a citizen of God. My real ID is that I've been born again into God's family. My real ID is that I've been chosen and called and adopted and redeemed and given a new name and a new purpose. And at times when it feels like everything is being turned upside down, at times when it feels like every certainty is uncertain and every foundation is crumbling and every kingdom is falling, you need to stand firm on your real ID. You know, sometimes we forget that our core identity is not as a member of this or that political party. It's not as an employee of that company. It's not even as a member of that family. Our real identity is this. We follow one king named Jesus. And I think this is so important right now today as elections are coming up. It's only 71 days until November the 3rd. I mean, can you believe that? Like this has not already been a divisive year. Here come the fall elections. God have mercy on us. Now I believe we should be responsible citizens and vote. 
But we should never allow any party or candidate or cause to define us because there's only one cause that's infallible and there's only one king you owe your ultimate allegiance to and that is Jesus. I also want to be clear that I'm not implying that we should just disobey the government every time it does something we don't like. The Bible is very clear. Unless the government is asking us to deny Christ, the Bible says we should be model citizens, that we should seek the prosperity of the city and the state we live in. And so when we say, for yours is the kingdom, what we are saying is this. My king is not Caesar. My king is not this administration or that administration. My king is not a Roman eagle. My king is not an elephant. My king is not a donkey. My real, real ID says that I am a citizen of God's kingdom and that is the basis of all my decisions. So here's the question. Do you know your identity? Do you know it as unshakably as Polycarp did? That's why you pray for yours is the kingdom. Now if my identity is as a citizen of God's kingdom, that also tells me something else. And you can just write this down. In praying these words, we surrender. You see, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom, God, not my kingdom. Do you remember how this prayer started? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, not my kingdom. Lord, bring up there down here. I'm gonna give up trying to build my kingdom. God, I want you to use me for you. I will give, I will serve, I will love, I will live. And God, every time I forget you and I start building my kingdom again, I will come back to you again and I will repent and I will pray again, Lord, your kingdom, not mine. Use me, use me. So let me ask you an important question today. Where do you need to surrender? Where do you need to surrender today? Where have you been trying to find your identity other than in God? Where are you trying to construct your little kingdom? Any secret sins you're clinging to? Any grudges you won't let go? Any fears gripping your heart and you just won't release them? Don't you know there is no other throne that is secure enough to build a life on. You see, friends, this is the time to surrender. Praying yours is the kingdom is about surrendering to King Jesus, is about bowing to his righteous rule in your day-to-day life. So where do you need to do that? Here's the second part of this final line. Yours is the power. Now, when I pray this, It means I depend on God's power. And that's also so important right now. I mean, just think about it. For months now, we've been going through a pandemic and protests and riots and political polarization. And now fires are burning everywhere. Does anyone else feel powerless? You see, praying these words reminds us that God has all power, that there's nothing God can't do, that there's no one stronger than him. This prayer is is actually a prayer of worship. King David writes these words in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
Now, when you look back across David's life, you realize David faced so many unbelievable challenges. And he was able to overcome them, I think, in part because he spent so much time in God's creation, so much time looking at the beauty and the strength of God's handiwork, just realizing that if God made all of this, then God can take care of me. You know, it's kind of interesting to think about, but David could only look at the heavens from afar, but now today we know so much more. For example, our galaxy, the Milky Way, has hundreds of billions of stars, just one galaxy, and they're so far apart, it would take a spaceship traveling at the speed of light 100,000 years to get from one end of our galaxy to the other. Astronomers tell us that there are two trillion galaxies containing more stars than all the grains of sand on planet Earth. And the Bible says that God created all of that with just a word. In the beginning, God spoke. God said, let there be light. And bang, there it was. It's mind-blowing just to try to contemplate. Even better, he has the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. In Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes about the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe that he and that is God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Incredible power. And if that wasn't enough, this will blow your mind. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20 that by God's mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than all we could ever ask or even imagine. You see, in a world where we can feel so powerless, just remembering and just praying yours is the power that all power, all strength is God's and that he gives us his power to live and to follow and to persevere. Well, that changes everything. Let me tell you a story. Charles Spurgeon was the most famous pastor in the 19th century. Every week at his London church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, he preached to thousands of people. But, but one Sunday while he was preaching, a fire broke out in the balcony and there was a stampede and people died and the building was burned. It was just this incredible, incredible tragedy. And it took a, a year to rebuild and get ready to reopen. And on the first Sunday back, he was consumed with anxiety. He thought, I can't do it. I, I can't get up there to preach. What if it happens again? And then it came time for him to preach. And with each step up the platform, he later said that he said to himself, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. People who were there that day said that he preached with new power and then that church then went on to new heights after being shut down for over a year. I prayed that yesterday and this morning before I got ready to preach. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. So where do you feel like Charles Spurgeon felt on that first morning back? Where are you feeling anxiety? I mean, what are you feeling anxious about today? 
You see, praying yours is the power is a reminder that with God you can face anything. God has all power, therefore you can depend on him. And then the final phrase, for yours is the glory. Let me ask you, do you pray and confess this truth on a regular basis, that it's God's glory? What this is about is I defer to God in humility. And the truth of the matter is, all too often we want our glory. But Jesus is teaching us here that it's all about God's glory. And to truly glorify God is the most important thing that we ever do. It's the most important thing you're going to do all week. So how do we glorify God? The Bible actually talks about so many ways. And and we can pray about all of them. But I want to just give you real quickly three Write these down. We glorify God first when we worship him. See, at its heart, worship is ascribing all glory to God alone. We, we stop other activities. We focus on God. We put him first. We adore his goodness. We delight in his beauty. We thank him for his blessings. We worship him. And we should prioritize times of worship, not just when we gather once a week, whether it's virtually or physically together as we hope to do next Sunday. We glorify God when we worship him. We also glorify God, secondly, when we trust him. And maybe that is what you need to hear today. You know, the Bible says that God works everything out for good, for his glory. And notice it's not your glory, but his glory. And the Bible makes it really clear that sometimes the way God is best glorified is when he takes us through a crisis that he eventually redeems. And we don't like that. We tend to fight that, to resist suffering. We're not prone to think, I I would be happy to go through this tough time because I know God will be glorified through it. But the truth is that trusting God is saying that he is wiser than we are, that he does know best. And when we do that and we trust him, We glorify God. Third, we also glorify God when we serve him. Serving God, which mostly happens when we serve the people that God created, is another way of saying with our lives that it's all about God. It's yours, God. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. In short, Glorifying God happens when we put him first in everything. It's not about me, God. It's all about you. And this simply is how we should live. This simply is the only right and true way to live. For God is the most glorious and wonderful being in the universe. And Jesus is the most glorious and wonderful person who ever walked the face of this earth. And friends, if you haven't seen it yet, let me tell you right now, this is ultimately what the Lord's Prayer is all about. See, we pray the Lord's Prayer so that our hearts begin to align with God's heart, that what he wants is what we want that we're not looking to build our kingdoms or seek our glory, but it's all about him. It's yours, Lord. It's yours, God. See, that's what we've been studying. And I hope, praying, 
more and more and more as we worked our way through the Lord's Prayer because prayer is ultimately not about us getting stuff from God, but about us growing to know God and love God more and more, about us aligning our hearts with God's heart so much that we want what he wants and we love what he loves. In Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy, he has written a paraphrase of this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And it goes like this. Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today. And forgive us our sins and impositions on you as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad. Because you are the one in charge and you have all the power and the glory is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. Dallas Willard writes about how his life was transformed by praying this prayer. And he, he says in his book, there are many nights when I would awaken about two and spend an hour of delight before God just dwelling in one or more phrases of this prayer. Our Father, who is always near, not our Father in some remote place really, really far away. Our Father, who is closer than the air I breathe, who is all around me. And and I just repeat that over and over and I live with it all day long. May your name, God, be treasured and loved. May all people starting with me come to truly see and believe how truly good and wonderful and beautiful you are. His translation of the last Part of this prayer runs like this again, because you are the one in charge and you have all the power and the glory too is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. He writes, just the way we want it is not a bad paraphrase for amen. He also writes, what is needed at the end of this great prayer is the ringing affirmation of the goodness of God in God's world. And he says, if your nerves can take it, you might occasionally try, whoopee. I imagine God himself will not mind. Now, I may not work for you, but maybe if you've settled into spiritual autopilot, maybe if Jesus' prayer has lost some life for you, Maybe that's what it would take. I I don't know. But whatever it is, my prayer is that our study these last few weeks has drawn you to Jesus and to Jesus' prayer and to Jesus' heart and that you're praying more and more and more by following this example and pattern that he gave to you. Now, I'm confident that if you have and that if you will continue to do this, that you will begin to find that no matter what else is, is going on around you, disease and pandemic everywhere, economy crashing, political strife and hatred, fires filling the skies with smoke, no matter what, you can still find a place to stand, a place to rest in peace, a, a place to rejoice, a, a place to trust. 
In other words, friend, maybe you need to be reminded today that that COVID-19 is not your entire world, that social unrest is not your entire world, that racism and political strife is not your entire world, that the presidential election is not your entire world. You see, whatever crisis you are facing, God is so much bigger and he has such greater plans. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And as we continue to follow him and and to live in his world, and as we continue to serve our neighbors and love our communities, we're going to trust him because he is in charge. And we know he has all the power. And we know that it will all be worked out to his glory forever. Amen. I want us to close as we have each week by praying the prayer Jesus gave us. Would you join me? Say it out loud wherever you are as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Our Father is so good. He loves us so much. And as we see more and more that life is about his kingdom and his power and his glory, we will know more joy, more peace, more strength.